Good morning, FCF. We're continuing our series called Turning Points, and I've described what I mean by turning points in other weeks. It's that time in each of our lives where suddenly the trajectory in our life is going to start to bend off. This, this turn in the trajectory, it might last for months, years, sometimes decades. It can be very positive. It can also be very negative. We're going to look at today that sometimes if we misnavigate those turning points, we can bring unnecessary chaos into our lives. Uh, share a little story with you about how you can be going along nice and easy and having a very calm, orderly day and suddenly chaos can come into your life. Many, many years ago, uh, my wife and I, I think we had just come back from the grocery store or something like that. We came in the house and we were just kind of settling in for a relaxing day and then all at once we realized there was an intruder in the house, which was an alarming thing. And the intruder was this furry creature, a little bushy-tailed squirrel. Now, normally, love seeing squirrels, very cute little, little jittery creatures. But this thing, when it comes inside your house, something happens. It goes through this transformation process. This thing was like a wild beast. It was hissing and, and growling. It was running up and down our walls like lightning. It was clinging to our curtains and, and unloading its bowels as it did. It was rather gross. It ended up underneath of our table, hanging upside down like one of these demonic figures in some of these movies. I didn't know whether to call it animal control or the exorcist. I mean, this thing was bad. So. I, I got my shield and I got my spear. You know, my spear was my, my broom handle and my shield was the, the plastic top of a storage bin. And I'm trying to, you know, tap and coax the, the devil-possessed, you know, scoundrel to go outside. He, he didn't want any part. He, he just ignored me, hissed, growled all the worse. It was very uncomfortable, very chaotic situation. Finally, we had the notion that we turn music on to, to tame the savage beast, or kind of like King Saul, you know, calm his, his demonically uh, brought on fits. Well, we start playing the radio, and here's the song. I kid you not, it was on the radio. How you like me now? And I'm thinking, how do you like me now? Not very much, Mr. Squirrel. Liked you better outside the house, not inside the house. Finally, we had the notion, let's make bread, bread trail so that he would go back out where he belongs, and he did. He follows the bread trail, which was kind of amazing in and of itself, and he leaves our house, and order was restored. Now, here's the point. It was all unnecessary chaos. The chaos that the little demon-possessed squirrel brought was unnecessary. We had left the door open from the deck. So we didn't have to have this chaos. Sometimes in our lives, when we misnavigate turning points, we can bring unnecessary chaos in our life. Now, let me pause and say this. There is some chaos that we can experience in life when we are right in the center of God's will, when we have navigated our turning points correctly. Nevertheless, we can experience tremendous chaos. Why, you say? Why, Randy? Because we live in a world where evil is present. And evil expresses itself in multiple diverse forms. One of the main ways evil expresses itself is in all kinds of predatory systems. Predatory systems, predatory people, predators relationally, predators in business. We have predatory forces even like disease and accidents and, and even death. We have predatory nations. I mean, the whole history of the world is one predatory nation after another. Biblical times, the first big predator is Egypt. After Egypt comes Assyria. After Assyria comes Babylon. After Babylon comes the Persian Empire. After the Persians comes the Grecian Empire. And then comes the Roman Empire. And on through history, you know that there was the Spanish Empire, the Portuguese Empire, the British Empire. 
multiple, multiple predatory nations. Look at Germany in World War II. This is the world we live in. And so you and I can be right in the center of God's will, navigating our life's turning points correctly. And you're going to see this because some of the people that we're going to talk about at the very end of this message, they were right in the center of God's will. Nevertheless, the chaos affected them too. And chaos can still come. Having said that, though, there are times when chaos, the chaos we bring and we experience, it's, it's, we brought it into our life. It's unnecessary. And we're going to see a portion of the history of the people of Israel where they brought unnecessary chaos into their lives. Now, we've looked through key eras in Israel's history. We started out in the first message in the series 930 when there was a split in the, the kingdom. There were 12 tribes. Ten split off from the two when Rehoboam, Solomon's son, did not handle a situation wisely. Then last week we saw that after 208 years of history, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, refusing to listen to God, 19 kings, all of them ungodly, finally God couldn't do anything else with them. They were misrepresenting Him to the nations. He let the Assyrian Empire, a predatory empire, come and take them and deport them. And they ceased to exist, the ten lost tribes. Now we're going forward from 722 B.C., where we were last week, to 586 B.C., 136 years later. God, once again, has been warning and pleading with the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, where the capital, Jerusalem, was, where the temple was, to turn back to Him. And once again, he could not get his people to take him seriously. Let me read to you now. We're going to read from 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verses 15 through 21. This is the New Living Translation. It says, The Lord, the God of their ancestors, repeatedly, get that, repeatedly sent his prophets to warn them. Why? For he had compassion on his people and his temple. But the people mocked these messengers of God and despised their words. They scoffed at the prophets until the Lord's anger could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. Pause. When it says nothing could be done, it means that, that God was, he was out of means to try to get their attention. He was out of means to try to get them to come to their senses. He couldn't let them continue to misrepresent Him to the world. They were a revelatory people. Mind you, they were in a special covenant with God. They were to be recipients of God's Word, pen it down, preserve it, pass it on, but they were also to be living representatives of God's Word as they obeyed His Word and His will and lived out His principles. The rest of the world would see what the real Creator was like as opposed to the false gods and goddesses of the nations. But when they misrepresented Him, He couldn't continue to bless them because it was fostering a lie. And so He reached a stage where He knew there was nothing left that could be done with them. By the way, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 20, 26, you'll see these cycles of discipline that God laid out for them right from the start when He made them a nation. The last cycle in discipline, the hopeless stage, is that they would be deported by another nation so that they could no longer misrepresent God. Let me pick back up reading. Verse 17, So the Lord brought the king of Babylon against them. The Babylonians killed Judah's young men, even chasing after them into the temple. They had no pity on the people, killing both young men and young women, the old and infirm. God handed all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He was their, their king. He was also earlier a general. The king, verse 18, took home to Babylon all the articles, large and small, used in the temple of God and the treasures from both the Lord's temple and from the palace of, excuse me, the palace of the king and his officials. 
Then his army burned the temple of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all the palaces, and completely destroyed everything of value. The few who survived were taken as exiles to Babylon, and they became servants. So the king and his, so the king and his sons, excuse me, to the king and his sons, until the kingdom of Persia came into power, another predatory empire. So the message of the Lord spoken through Jeremiah was fulfilled. The land finally enjoyed its Sabbath rest, lying desolate until the 70 years were fulfilled, just as the prophet had said. Jeremiah 25, he had predicted, after Jeremiah pleaded with the people of Judah in Israel, right in Jerusalem, to turn back to God. If not, he's going he's to allow the Babylonians to come. They would not listen. They treated Jeremiah terrible. He, he spent a whole 41 years of his life and the people didn't listen to him. But 21 years, he warned them, the Babylonians are going to come if you don't listen. And if they come, they're going to take you. They're going to deport you. And you are going to be in exile there for 70 years. You might have noticed this little clause about the land got its rest. Interesting thing, back in Leviticus 25, God laid out this strange little plan for the Israelites where they were to, you know, sow their, their fields and, you know, and harvest their crops for six years. But on the seventh year, they were to just to let the, the field go, let it go. Whatever grew, they could eat it, but just let it go. Don't plant anything, don't work the land. It was to have a rest, just like a seventh day rest. Likewise, they went in cycles of 49 years. Uh, the 50th year, the whole land was to have a rest, and they had something called jubilee. If you had gone bankrupt and lost your hand, uh, lost your land, or something like that, well, your family got the land back. Anyway, evidently the Jews had never once let their fields rest in all these years. They had been a kingdom now for 464 years, from 1050 all the way up to 586. This portion of scripture is in 586. They never bothered with any of this, but God remembered, and so. The 70 years were not arbitrary, but the main reason was because of the way they had done this. They had devalued divine revelation. Listen, whenever there is devaluation of divine revelation, there's going to be chaos. Let me repeat that. Whenever knowingly or unknowingly an individual or society devalues divine revelation, you can count on it. There's going to be unnecessary chaos. Just look at our society today. Uh, I want you to think about it. Think about all the, the media, all the sources of input that we get, whether it's movies or TV or whether it's music or whether it's newspapers or magazines or uh, news reports or anything. Where do you see any of these sources treating God's Word, God's divine revelation as though it's substantive, as though it's significant, as though it's important? You don't see it. We have utterly devalued divine revelation. We treat it as inconsequential. At, at best, it's inconsequential. Why then is there chaos? Well, there it is right there. It says, let me read it to you again, but the people, verse 16, they mocked the messengers of God. They despised their words. They despised the word of God. God's divine revelation was despised. They scoffed at the prophets until the anger of the Lord could no longer be restrained and nothing could be done. When we devalue divine revelation, God has no other way to get to us. He's not going to force things on us. He wants us to have an authentic relationship with Him, which is based on the sharing of truth and our response to it. So, whenever there's devaluation of divine revelation, you're going to have unnecessary chaos. And here's why. First of all, it brings the loss of illumination. 
we as human beings need to be taught everything. Unlike some animals that have some great instincts, we human beings come into the world completely helpless, needing to be taught everything. More importantly, we were meant to be beings that were taught directly from God. Adam and Eve were in the garden with God. He met with them each day in there. They were meant to be progressively illuminated by God. Only God has all knowledge. We're finite. We have very limited knowledge. We're, we're pretty much you know, limited to our senses and so forth. When we cut off divine revelation, we lose illumination. We don't know who we are. We don't know why we're here. We don't know how we're supposed to live. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what's going on in the world and why it's happening and so forth. Listen to this verse from Psalm 19.7 about divine uh, illumination. It says in Psalm 19.7, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. We as human beings are always looking for a trustworthy, authoritative word. Who has the truth? Who's got the real truth? Who really understands a given situation? We are instinctively driven toward that. But it's meant to be received, we're meant to receive this from our Creator. And when we cut off, when we, when we start to devalue divine revelation, God's word, we're cut off from illumination, and that brings havoc, that brings chaos. We start to just follow our desires. We just start to follow the ideas of the pack or the mass of society. We fumble around in darkness because we just don't know so much. We are dependent. We were always meant being created by Christ and for Him. We were meant to be constantly, gradually nurtured and taught, illuminated by Him. And when we cut that off, we walk in darkness. The second thing that happens when we devaluate divine revelation is we lose inspiration. This is something that not many people recognize by human beings. Every single human being made in the image of God, made by Christ and for Him, we were meant to live inspired lives. We were meant to be constantly enthusiastic, energized by God, interactive with God, constant fellowship with Him that energizes us, motivates us, fills us with hope, fills us with enthusiasm in all different cases. And it comes because, because God inspires us. Let me, let me read you a verse, and I'll try to break this inspiration thing down a little bit more. In 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, the Apostle Paul, writing toward the very end of his life, he knew he was going to be martyred by Nero. This was the end. He said these key words. He said, all Scripture is inspired. Let me stop there before I read the rest of it. That word inspired, it literally means in the in original language, God breathed. If you were to get close enough to me, you could literally, as I breathe, particularly as I project as a speaker, you could feel my breath. In fact, sometimes people sitting in the front row when we're back in church in the building, I hate to admit this, but sometimes when I breathe and when I'm speaking, a, a, a little bit more than just breath comes out. And I'm always thinking, man, I hope that thing lands before it lands on somebody. A little bit of moisture from my mouth. Anyway, this is what the Scripture is saying, that God's Word, it's literally coming from His mouth. It is, it is so spiritually alive. It is His breath. He is speaking it out to us. Now, let me read you the rest of the, word, the, rest of the verse. All Scripture is inspired. It's God speaking, and we can feel His breath from it. Inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. When divine, uh, excuse me, when, when we have devaluation of divine revelation, we lose illumination, and we also lose inspiration. What happens when people lose inspiration? 
unnecessary chaos. We become restless. We become confused. We struggle with, with our sense of value and significance. We become insecure. We start experimenting with things. We, we just feel empty. We can't put a finger on it while we're empty, but we are. We're meant to be inspired. We're meant to have enthusiasm. We're meant to have hope. We're meant to have clarity. We're meant to be vision-driven. We're meant to have the breath of God just laying all over us as we take His Word in, trusting it to be indeed what it is, His very Word. But when we devalue divine revelation, it's inevitable that we're going to have chaos coming. They mocked the messengers of God. They scoffed at the Word of God. They cut themselves off from God's source of help and hope and rescue. There's a second part of this that's equally important, and it's this. We find that these people, they, they had an elevation of something I'm calling the elevation of ritualistic religion. What I mean is this, when you cut off God and His Word and you stay affiliated to some degree with God, inevitably you become chaotic and confused and superstitious. Almost a magic system starts to develop. You, you, you become silly about your religious activities. And so I'm calling it an elevation of ritualistic religion. And when you have an elevation of ritualistic religion, it first of all brings distorted expectations and with it distorted values. Now I'm going to give you an example of how the Israelites had distorted expectations because they had degenerated to ritualistic religion. Listen folks, we were never meant to practice religion. You heard me say this before. People have this notion that you got this wheel of life and you keep balance. You know, you got your social life and your vocational life and your recreational life and then you got your spiritual life and you keep the wheel balanced. No, uh-uh. That's not the way God created us. We were meant to be beings that live in union with our Creator all the time and live from that union. Christ was meant to be central and all these other areas, they're influenced by that central union with Him. So listen to the difference between relational. We were meant to be relational beings, living in an intimate, loving, trusting relationship with our Creator, not practicing religious appeasement activities, but that's what we degenerate to when we cut ourselves off from God's truth. Listen to this verse from Jeremiah. And the reason it's so pertinent is because it was Jeremiah telling the people of God that if they didn't listen to him, the Babylonians were coming. He was warning them. Listen to what the people were saying. Now, Jeremiah 7, verse 3 and 4, this was about 21 years before the actual uh, Babylonian invasion took place. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Even now, if you quit your evil ways, I will let you stay in your own land. God still wanted His people to come back. He had waited on them patiently for 136 years. He just kept pleading with them. But listen to what happens. Verse 4, But don't be fooled by those who promise you safety simply because the Lord's temple is here. They chant, The Lord's temple's here. The Lord's temple's here. I want you to see what was happening. The people had degenerated into superstitious religion. They thought that because God's temple was there in Jerusalem, they were going to be safe. Even though God was warning them, He was giving His word saying, if you continue to misrepresent me, I'm going to have you deported. I'm not going to protect you. I'm going to remove the protection from you because you're misrepresenting me. But they superstitiously started believing, oh, the, the temple of the Lord will protect us. We're protected as long as the temple of the Lord is here. 
Listen, this is something that can happen to us too. We start to, to fall. We start to degenerate. We start to distort our expectations and our values based on superstitious ideas. They thought, they expected that they were safe. They thought the temple of the Lord was kind of this total protection system for them. That was part of their values. But it was not true. When we step outside of God's Word and God's will, there is no protection. Our protection is His Word. It is His will. It is when I, when I do things, when I live the way I'm designed to live, that's the protection. That's the safe spot. When I go past that or outside of that, I am, of course, in danger. We, we mistake sometimes affiliation with application. We, we think that just because we mouth the things of God, just because we're affiliated with the things of God, you know, like we go to church and we go to communion and we pray and we give and like that, that, that that's all automatically equal with real interaction with God. Now, it can be, but it's not. Let's just take one example. It's communion. That there are people that believe that when they, they take that little wafer and, and that little cup of juice, that, that something magical happens inside of them. That God mystically, magically zaps them somehow and supernatural grace whatever they mean by that um, you know is infused in them and they become more like Christ or something like that that is just categorically untrue it's not taught anywhere in God's Word God has a very careful plan for human development and growth it is a plan that is a cooperative God reveals truth he calls us he inspires us and then he waits for us to intentionally trust and obey him and as we trust and obey and practice obedience we start to develop things that were dormant in us and dead in us start to come alive and they start to develop and grow and we progressively become more and more like Christ our Creator. That's God's plan for growth, not this mystical, magical nonsense. There are some Christians that believe that, oh, if you just get a certain person to pray for you, or if you just get somebody to lay hands on you, or if you just go on some kind of a crusade, or you, you light a bunch of candles. I mean, there's so many beliefs. Recite a bunch of prayers. Recite this prayer a hundred times. And, and these are appeasement, magical, mystical appeasement practices, ritualistic religion. I'm going to say it. I don't mean to insult some of you, but you just need to hear the truth. This is insulting to God. It, it makes Him look like an ignoramus. He wants authentic relationship with people. He waits until He finds people that authentically like Him and trust Him and like Him so much they want to be like Him and they crave His Word, they crave His will, they immediately put His Word and His will to work in their lives. They keep at it until gradually, progressively, it transforms them. These people had cut themselves off from that. When you cut yourself off, from God's truth, inevitably, you start to become mystical and religious and you look for ways to appease God, ways to work God over, ways to get God to work for you. And that's what was happening to them. Listen to this verse. Once again, they were saying to themselves, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, we're safe because the temple of the Lord was here. Their expectations of safety were utterly, utterly false. Sometimes I hear people again, they think that just because they go to church, you, you know, that they're good with the man upstairs, as they may say. Listen, it's a wonderful thing to go to church if you're sitting there with a trusting heart and listening to the Word of God so that you can learn His ways and will to do His ways and will. But if you're just sitting in church thinking this is going to appease God, you are just deceiving yourself and the chaos is going to come in your life. You're, you're going to be full of uncertainty. You're going, to, you're going to sooner or later experience the chaos. God doesn't want that for his people. There's a second part of this elevation of ritualistic religion 
It also desensitizes our spiritual faculties. By them thinking that they were supernaturally protected because they were, they were in Jerusalem and they had the temple of God and so forth, their spiritual faculties became hardened, became callous. God couldn't get through to them anymore. Their consciences started to regulate based on their misbeliefs. Since they believed that they were mystically, magically protected, God could not get through to them with this truth. Listen, God, God always wants to speak to us through our God-enlightened reason, and then He wants to get His Word into our God-enlightened reason so that we can regulate our conscience to His Word, and then He can start to lead us and guide us and communicate with us, and authentic relationship can develop. But once we start to cut off the source of truth, we inevitably start to... Uh, desensitize our spiritual faculties. Our consciences become damaged. They, they don't respond to reality. Our, our spirits start to, to become emaciated. They're, they're not strong. L listen, the way God works in a human soul, He enlightens our God-enlightened reason with His truth. It reaches our conscience until our conscience and our God-enlightened reason become strong. Strong enough to control our emotions and our desires. Strong enough to control our thinking, what we think about, what we don't think about. Strong enough to control our imagination, what we focus it on, what we don't allow it to focus on. Strong enough to control our bodily desires. This is God's way of working. He works from the inside out. It's a very system systematic way. It is not mystical and magical. Anybody that thinks we can just have instantaneous growth by praying a certain prayer, fasting for 40 days, whatever it is. That is not God's plan and methodology. And once we slip into this, our spiritual faculties get more and more desensitized and we get confused and we start doing silly things and we, we listen for all kinds of signs and voices and things that are not from God at all. I want to share a verse with you from the New Testament. This is Jesus' word. Listen to this because it really puts it simply and powerfully. Luke 6.46, Jesus said, What good is it to mouth the words, Lord, Lord, if you don't, live by my teaching. Let me repeat it again. Jesus speaking. What good is it to mouth the words, Lord, Lord, if you don't live by my teaching? These Israelites were saying, oh, we're the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We're God's people. He's not going to let anything happen to us. He kept warning them, but they had desensitized themselves to spiritual truth. Their God-enlightened reason was shut off. It was in darkness. Their consciences were now warped. Uh, false standards were taking place. And because of that, they had unnecessary chaos in their life. Jesus says to us today that we might, we might sing the songs of the Lord, we might read our Bibles, we might go to church every Sunday, but Jesus is saying we can do all that as wonderful as it is, but it's not enough unless we put it into practice. We could be deceiving ourselves. Randy, are you saying that we're going to be perfectly obedient to everything? No, but that should be our desire, to be perfectly obedient. That should be what we're working on. That should be what we're trusting God to empower us to eventually be. It says that ultimately that we're, we're going to come to maturity, or God wants to bring us to maturity, which is to be just like Christ. But that's a process. And that can be a messy process. This is why the Scripture says we shouldn't judge each other. We're all, we're all going at this in a different way. But the goal of Christ-like character formation should always be the same in each of us. What good is it if you say, Lord, Lord, if you don't live by my teaching? It's kind of like this. 
it's kind of like you know, you could read all about marathons. You, you could know every great marathoner that ever lived. You could, you could know all the, the training regimens that there, there are in all the world for preparing for a marathon, but you would still not be able to run a marathon. No, to run a marathon, you have to get out there and you have to start running. First a half mile, then a mile, and then you build up. Jesus saying, just knowing His Word, just mouthing His words, just saying hallelujah, praise God, thank you for this, and not doing what He says, that it's not sufficient. They had elevated ritualistic religion, and because of that, they were desensitized spiritually. They, they didn't even understand how far, how far from God they were. They didn't understand what chaos was about to overwhelm them. Listen, listen to me, folks. When the Babylonians swept in there, you read it earlier, they slaughtered people, but that was just the start, the ones they took into exile. I want you to think about the chaos that came upon their lives. They are swept away from their homeland. They lost family. They lost friends. They lost relationships. They lost businesses. They lost homes. They lost everything familiar and dear in one sweep. They were sent to a land where they didn't even know the language. They couldn't even relate. They couldn't even communicate to people anymore. Everything was different. Everything was disorienting. Everything was chaotic. They felt like a stranger in a strange land, and that's exactly what they were. They were disoriented. They were uncertain. They were full of confusion, full of chaos, trying to figure out how do you survive in this strange, hostile, foreign culture. Unnecessary chaos never had to happen. All they had to do was pause, listen to God's Word, and be willing to change their actual conduct, their actual behavior. I want to close with um, an image that I think a lot of you would, would be familiar with. You know, we, we've all probably watched these shows where um, these individuals, you know, they go down in these big cages underwater and they've got these cameras, you know, and, and then people throw chum and blood and all kind of stuff in the water and they, they deliberately want to stir up sharks and they're hoping to see like the biggest shark possible, maybe a great white. And then these people are inside these protective cages with their cameras and they're going to take pictures of the sharks. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we've all seen those. It's a really interesting image because, let's face it, as long as they are in the water, they are in the predator's realm, okay? That realm belongs to the sharks. The, the sharks are the ultimate predator. They are in the predator's realm, but, but, listen carefully, as long as they're in the cage, they're safe. The, pred the predator really cannot affect them. Listen, these exiles that were taken into Babylon, let me just tell you one that you'll know about. You've read perhaps some of you, the book of Daniel. Daniel and his buddies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into chaos, not because they had misnavigated a turning point. No, no, no. They were righteous young men. They loved God. They were faithful to God. Daniel lived all the way through all the, all the Babylonian rulers until Persia took over. He faithfully served God in Babylon. Listen, he was in in the center of the predator's realm, but he was in God's protective cage. And if you read the book of Daniel, you'll see that God protected him again and again. He protected him from the bad diet. He protected him from being thrown into the fire. He protected him from the lion's den and so forth. God wants people that will be sensitive and faithful, authentically devoted to him, authentically love him and like him and love his willing word and live it out and progressively seek to be more like him. And when we do that, we are in the predator's realm. He puts us right into the midst of it. But we are to live out his life from that safe place. Now, here's the other side. 
Should we do what they did? Should we devaluate divine revelation? We start to neglect the Word of God. We start to treat it, you know, as, as nothing consequential. We ignore it. We don't study it. We don't internalize it. We don't seek to practice it. Should we become superstitious with God and think that we can appease Him and get our way and our will? Should we do these things? Then we are like those that go down into the water expecting to find a protective cage, but there's no protective cage there anymore. It's been taken away. We're in the water, in the predator's realm, but we have no protection anymore. One of these two figures, unnecessary chaos or chaos, but with God's protection is true. We're going to have chaos in this world because it's a predatory world. Evil is present, but we have unnecessary chaos when we step away from the will and the word of God, and then we have no protection. So let's pause and close this message by asking this. Could it be... And I, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to describe some of you. And I, don't, I don't mean to hurt you. I don't mean to wound you. I don't mean to offend you. But some of you, I bet you in the past two or three months, you have felt this way. You have felt like, I am so confused. My life is so turned upside down. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know what's going on. All my relationships are topsy-turvy and confusing. My vocation is up in the air. My, my economic stability is gone. I, I am just completely in a state of chaos. And you're, you're kind of staggering. You're stunned. It could be that this whole COVID period has brought some of this on. But you've got to stay and still and ask yourself a question. Chaos is okay if it's not the result of we bringing it upon ourselves unnecessarily because we're in a world of evil and chaos can happen. Are you standing faithful to God and His Word and His will? Then the chaos is okay. He will protect you through it and bring you stronger out on the other side. But could it be that some of the chaos is in our life because we've done what these Israelites have done, maybe without realizing we devaluated divine, devaluated divine revelation and we elevated ritualistic religion. We're just going through the motions. We're Jesus, Jesus. But it doesn't really mean anything substantive in our life. Then the chaos you might be experiencing is unnecessary. Now, the good news about unnecessary chaos is it can be turned around. That trajectory that's bent in that negative direction, direction it can be turned in a positive direction. It may take time. It, it may take some digging out. But God is faithful and gentle and compassionate and forgiving. So we each know where we're at in this particular message. Hopefully we are not those that are experiencing unnecessary chaos. But if we are, a loving God is here today to try to steer us back to the path of life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as I close out in prayer. And the, the music team is going to be coming and lead you in just a minute. But let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you first of all that you are the God that sends your compassionate pleadings to we, your rebellious, hard-headed people, again and again and again. You send your messengers. You send your pleadings. You, you seek our good. And even when we are resistant, you try and you try and you try again. And even when corrective measures, harsh corrective measures come, they too are meant to be just that corrective. Help us to see and to respond no matter where we're at. Please, Father, I pray for that person that's experiencing the most chaos. May they run towards you and not away from you in their chaos. I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.